You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. S&P is under extreme pressure at the moment for reasons that, well, will become apparent in a moment. To analyse the S&P 500 and other US indexes and the prospects for those indexes in the future is Lee Adler from Liquidity Trader. Lee, quite a shock this morning. And what what shocked me was the fact that the S&P started lower, but then continued lower and continued lower. And even when the US opened, the real market opened, it went down about around about 40 points. Okay, it's rallied at lunchtime, but I still am fearful for the rest of the evening. What do you see? Never mind the fundamentals. What do you see on the charts? Yeah. Hi, Lindsay. The um, the market opened below the low that was established on the 29th, and it continued to sell off. So it looked like a breakdown. But as usual, we had a turnaround at 10.30 a.m. New York time. And now we're back to the point of uh, the breakdown, uh, which was, again, the low of the 29th, around 27, 60, 65, 70, that area. So this is a critical minor resistance level. And then the next resistance level above that on, on the hourly chart would be at around 27.75. So this level, 27.67 on the S&P and 27.75 are both critical. If they can't push above that, then I think the crash risk is elevated. Okay, that's that's interesting because you used a word there that's quite emotive. The crash risk is elevated. So what you're saying is, let's say it's an hour to go and it's trading at 27.60 and there's very little prospect of piercing the upside levels that you just indicated. You are fearful not only for the close on Friday, but also looking forward to Monday or not looking forward to Monday, it could get quite ugly. Yeah, um, the next support level below this morning's low, which was 27.50, would be, um, again, and, and if that level's broken, I, I think look out below, the next support level would be around 27.20. And if that doesn't hold, uh, it's really hard to say where the next bottom would be. It could be in the 26.30 range. So the numbers to watch are, are this morning's low around 2752, I believe, 2750, that area, a few points, give or take. If that gives way, then I think we're going to see a lot more selling come in. 2751.38 is what I've got on my day's range right. for the S&P 500 contract. I, I don't know where they get the 38 from because they they don't trade in those increments. But anyway, let's call it 2751, 2752. But let's not forget, Lee, that back in December, when things were really ugly, and people were talking about two or three Fed rate hikes in right. 2019 rather than one to two Fed cuts. This thing was down at 24.35 to 40, I think. So we've got a long way to go before we even test the late 2018 lows. Yeah. But yeah. First, before we look at the potential downside, we should talk about the possibility that they do continue to rally here and get through 2775, then the critical level is 2800. And I think that's the real line in the sand for the long term. If if they can't get it back above 2800, then the, uh, the long-term risk remains high. Now, on the downside, uh, going out weeks, for the first time on Monday, uh, I had a put recommendation for, I guess, the first time since December. And then, of course, on December 24th, we had the Saturday night massacre for the Bears when the uh, 
federal government, the U.S. federal government put, you know, all its assets on the line to get the market turned around because we were on the in, in the midst of a crash. And, and they were successful at that. There was a lot of jawboning. And there was the Kabuki Theater with Treasury Secretary Mnuchin talking to the bankers. Hmm. Uh, but I think they actually put some financial power, uh, firepower on the scenes, uh, behind the scenes, rather. And, and the, you know, they triggered a little bit of a short squeeze that turned into an outright buying panic over the next month and a half or a couple of months. But that, that kind of has run out of steam. That game has been played out. And in, March, in May, rather, we made a, a minor new high. We eked out a new high. And that's the second time we've done that, because if you recall, in February 2018, we had a mini crash and then we had a bigger crash last fall. And this time we made each time we made a slightly higher high and this time we made a slightly higher high. But we've made lower lows in the interim, too. So it creates what's called a broadening top pattern or a megaphone pattern where you have a little bit higher highs and and then lower lows. And and the, the pattern keeps getting wider and wider. So I think the potential exists for an even lower low this time around. You know, we've had a couple of warning shot, shots across the bow, the one in February of last year and then the one in from October to December. And this could be the big one. It, it definitely could be the big one, but we have to keep an eye on these technical levels, 2,800 on the upside and say 2,750 right here and 2,720 on the downside. Uh, you know, what, if we stay within that range, then we just continue to rattle back and forth and you can trade the edges of the range, but if the range breaks, and I think it's more likely to break on the downside, my inter- intermediate indicators are looking very toppy. There's been a lot of technical weakness as this rally proceeded into April and May, and it, it doesn't look good. It looks it looks bearish, and it looks great if you're if you're short, but uh, not long. Yeah, I remember that February 2018 uh, scare that we got, and the scare was very simple. I think it was initiated, or rather the catalyst was Facebook. Something happened with Facebook or Zuckerberg. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The the, the market got spooked, and I distinctly remember being on a roadshow with an investment bank and being in my hotel room and watching the Dow Jones. The, the ticker couldn't keep up, and I was watching CNBC, and it was 100 down, 200 down, 300 down, etc. It was going in 100-point clips on the television anyway. And then it all calmed down and everything went fine. Then we had another couple of wobbles during 2018, notably in December. But it's almost like a volcano, Lee. A volcano gives you a warning. It starts to rumble and it spews out a little bit of steam here and there and a few hot lava rocks going up into the sky. Then it goes quiet, then it does it again. And eventually the big blow-off comes. And it's it's not a process that just suddenly happens. So I think that the bull market is, or rather the bear market, is like the volcano. And it's given us a few signs. This is the latest sign, I think. And the the big blow-off, the big eruption to the downside is not about to come, but it will come. It just seems to me that something is brewing. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the the semantics of whether it will come or is about to come in the short term, I think, don't matter. and, uh, you know, I'm seeing signs of weakness here that indicate that it is imminent or at least could be imminent. And again, I would focus on these technical levels. The Fed is uh, still, in spite of the bullish talk and the talk of interest rate reductions, if the Fed is not expanding its balance sheet, then that is a tight monetary policy, despite what everybody thinks. The Fed needs to be in QE to continue to to support the bull market. 
And, you know, uh, people were talking about the bull market again in this last rally. But in fact, we haven't gone anywhere in a year and a half. So, you know, where's the bull market that everybody's talking about? I see a top. I see a major, major long term top pattern unfolding here. And unless the Fed gets back to QE, I think we're going to see lower lows and lower highs for years to come. So, um, yeah, I think the volcanic eruption is, you know, we've we've had the the pre-eruptions a couple times. And um, I think this this could be the third strike where you're out, the baseball analogy. You know, we've had we've had two big sell-offs in the last uh, year, 15 months. And, and now I think this could be the big one. Could the Fed cut rates either one or two times this year by 25 basis points and then 25 basis points potentially after that? Could they do that, that without, without indulging in quantitative easing? Can they do cuts without the easing? Well, I don't think the market's going to let them do that. There's been, um, in the last, it's a little bit complicated, but the U.S. Treasury is now operating under a debt ceiling again. So they can't borrow additional money from the public right now. So the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury had about a $450 billion cash kitty that built up as a result of the April 15th tax collections. And they've been using that cash to pay off maturing U.S. Treasury bills up to uh, one year, the, the four-week to one-year T-bills. And every week they've been paying off billions and billions of these bills and uh, to, to avoid going over the debt ceiling. Now, when they pay off these T-bills, the holders of those bills that are getting paid off, which are usually dealers and, and institutional investors, they get money back. They get their cash back. And they have to go somewhere with that cash. So they, they go into the market. They try to find other short-term paper. There isn't enough of that. So they go out on the curve a little bit, and they buy two-year paper, five-year paper, even 10-year paper. And you see the yields coming down as a result of this cash being forced into these accounts. So they're, they're buying bonds, they're buying notes, and they're buying short-term paper, and that's forcing rates down. Now, when the debt ceiling is lifted, which it will be, the Treasury is going to run out of cash in a couple months. They've already run down that, that cash hoard that they had by about half. They're down to about $200 billion now. So in a month or two, they're going to run out of money, and the politicians will get around to lifting the debt ceiling, and the Treasury will have to come back into the market with a vengeance to sell a huge amount of debt in order to uh, repay all of the accounts that they've raided in the process of trying to stay under the debt ceiling. So when the U.S. Treasury comes back into the market, we don't know exactly when that'll be. It'll be you know, maybe July, anywhere from July to September, I think. There's going to be a price to be paid. There's going to be upward pressure on interest rates. There's not going to be enough money around to fund all the borrowing that the federal government will need to do. So I, I don't think the Fed is going to be able to to cut rates uh, under that and under those conditions now maybe in the very short run with these bills being paid down and money market rates coming down a little bit they might have a window to do that but i kind of doubt it i I don't think it's going to happen i think it's something that's part of the wall street narrative that just isn't going to happen so i think people are going to be really disappointed in a couple of months when they see upward pressure on rates again What's your general feeling, though? I mean, you, your gut feeling, you've been in the market for many, many years, a few decades, in fact. What is your feeling at the moment, especially when you see what Mr. Trump has, has come out with? He, he was like a bear with a sore head this morning and yesterday yeah. and when it came to the Mueller report and now having a go at Mexico and saying that tariffs, is gonna solve, <laughs> tariffs are going to solve the 
immigrant crisis, as he puts it. I don't think it is a crisis. It's been there for a long time. But anyway, he perceives it as a crisis. Tariffs is not the way forward. But it's almost as though at some point people are going to get fed up. I think China is fed up with Trump. And I think a lot of other people are starting to get fed up. In fact, his base in the, you know, the hillbillies in the, in the Midwest who buy these trucks are going to say, well, you've actually put the price of my new truck up by 5 to 10% because the parts are manufactured in Mexico. And some of the cars that I buy are manufactured in Mexico. So something's got to give. I just get a feeling that he's pushing the boat out a little bit too far this time. Yeah, I, it's a cumulative effect. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to be an armchair psychologist here and, and try to analyze what motivates this man to be as destructive as he is. But, you know, his history is uh, one of, of destroying businesses. You know, who fails to make money in the casino business and who drives casinos into bankruptcy? You know, the 20 some years ago, I did an appraisal of a project that he built somewhere. I'm, I don't want to get into specifics, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a total failure. And, and the bank that financed the deal ended up getting back some 400 condominium units that were worth uh, 15 or 20 cents on the dollar. He had taken his money out up front. So this is a, this is a longstanding pattern of, of, you know, finding ways to destroy things. I, I don't understand it. You know, he's basically doing things that are terrible for his base. And whether that base will ever turn on him, I don't know. But clearly, I think the markets are are starting to finally get nervous about it. And if European investors alone, just at the margin, are fed up with this, the the constant attacks on Europe, and uh, if they start really uh, voting with their feet and pulling their money out of the U.S. market, that'll contribute to a crash. And God forbid, what if China starts selling treasuries? Of course, that would be... uh, cutting off their nose to spite their face, but they, you know, this is, this is really trade war is war and God knows what the Chinese are going to do. And they hold a lot of treasuries. And if they start selling them or if they don't roll them over, that's another potential problem. And I think the whole world is watching this man's behavior with trepidation. It has taken wall street a long time to figure out that, you know, what he's doing is, is not helpful to the growth of, of this country of the U S and I think that the the fear level, the nervousness is is beginning to creep in. Frankly, I'm surprised and disappointed that it it has taken as long as it has. But Me too. you know, I, I really I think it's uh, it's dangerous. Very very dangerous, Lee. How do we get hold of you, please? Well, uh, my subscription services are available at liquiditytrader.com, and I offer a ninety day risk-free trial for anyone who's interested in trying those services. And of course, uh, a couple of times a week, I write a free post at wallstreetexaminer.com. Lee, thanks so much for your analysis. And just in in general terms, without getting into resistance and support levels and uh, treasury bills and what the Fed and the banks are doing and what the proprietary traders are doing, what is your gut feel about the market now, please? Oh, I think we're I think we're building a, a very important top, and I think that if we take out twenty seven fifty on the downside, then then we're going lower, a lot lower. Lee Adler is from Liquidity Trader. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with ShareNet.co.za.